Hey, this is Matthew Pretty, and I'm this week's guest on Ben's Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. As you just heard, this week's guest is Matthew Pretty, aka The Bucket Boy on social media. He's an incredible, world-renowned street percussionist based out of Las Vegas. I'll drop a few of his videos in the show notes, so as long as you're not driving or powering heavy machinery, pause this episode and check them out before moving forward. You'll see exactly why I needed to have him on the show. We get into everything from his setup to why he chose street performing and eventually stagger into the five biggest influences that made him into the extremely unique player he is today. And keep listening until the end because Matthew talks about which specific buckets make the best drums and how you can actually tune them. It's crazy. Cheers. You are an incredible drummer, and I have such a unique admiration for people who uh, completely forge their own path. And so you're originally from Tom's River, New Jersey, but can you talk a little bit about how you went from picking up a drumstick at three to then being an internationally revered street performer? Wow. Uh, That's really impressive that you know that. Um, (laughs) You know, I started when I was a kid. I started when I was three. I was just hitting things. I was obviously hitting things like everyone else. Mm Mm-hmm. Pulling up pots and pans, that whole shindig, uh, shiny things just made sense to me. Shiny things that made noise uh, mm-hmm. just made sense to me. So, um, yeah, she just said, you know, I was making rhythms or something like that when I was like three or something. So then um, she ended up getting me my drum set when I was about four or five. Um, and it was a diamond. I don't know if they still make them. But it was a blue diamond kit. It was like an entry-level blue kit. It was right there on my front porch. It was the best day of my life. (laughs) Um, I still remember it to this day, 100%, like the day, the time, the age I was. Um, You know, and yeah, it just went crazy. So from that point, um, my mom got me a, a VHS tape. Uh, his name was Sandy Gennaro. And I'm, uh, I was like, again, I was like four or five years old. And this was an all day thing. It was school and it's, it's home. It's play soccer for a little bit and then put on Sandy, Sandy Gennaro on the, on the screen. And it was an instructional video. Um, and you know, when you're that age, when you're a kid, that age, anything, you're like a sponge, you know, everything at that age is just so incredible. So from that point, they really saw that I was get, picking it up pretty quick. So then they, they ended up getting me lessons at about five or six years old with a uh, guy named John Spoulos. And then you went to high school. I mean, when, when did you decide to become a, a, a street performer? When did that come into your life? Because I know I realized asking the question through your top five, we're going to get into what made you want to do street performing uh, specifically. But yeah, what, what was the timeline um, so I moved from, I moved from Tom's river to, to LA 
when I was 19 years old. It was um, it was a couple of months before Hurricane Sandy hit. I remember that. Um, people that I overthink about doing shit in their life, you know, I had absolutely no plan to do this, like zero. So I arrived to L.A. just because, I mean, there, there was beach there. I'm from I'm from the East Coast, so I definitely wanted a beach. You know, if I was going to go to school, I wanted sure. a beach. So that yeah. was like the main thing that brought me to L.A. Uh, also, you know, I smoked a ton of weed at the time, too, so that was great. <laughs> and I surfed a lot. So, I, yeah, I arrived in uh, in L.A., and it was the first day I was still using a longboard to transport like around around my city so i skated from culver city like four miles all the way down culver city or venice boulevard all the way to the beach mm-hmm. and w- it was like i swear man it was the weirdest feeling ever it was like a click and goosebumps immediately and i just started seeing street performers after that and was like this is just what i'm gonna do it was really weird but this is just how it happened. Just being there at that time, I was just like, I'm just going to be a street performer. I remember seeing this stuff in New York from Mr. Larry Wright, you know, the OG of this, of these bucket things, Mr. Larry Wright. Um, okay. So I figured there's nobody doing it in LA. I've been drumming my whole life. These guys could do it. I could definitely do it. So um, there was, there was history after that, man. I went, I was drumming on a stool that was like uh that was my first ever street performance was a was on a stool and i was doing um blast there was a show called blast okay back in the late 90s early 2000s and there was drumming on stools and doing tricks on stools so i made two dollars on the street and it was the greatest day of my life (laughs) what'd you buy with that two dollars a bus ticket home because i was i was tired (laughs) as hell and and you know what um this was back when they still had the McDouble on the dollar menu and it wasn't like $3 yep. now. Yep. So I remember I got a McDouble for that ride home. It was, it was incredible. It was awesome. That's a great day. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your setup? I mean, as I'm, you don't play on just a stool now. And so I guess I kind of wanted to talk about what you do now and maybe how, how your brain has to work differently because um and i'll i'll be dropping a lot of uh of your videos in the show notes if people want to pause right now and go watch what i'm talking about right now but your hand is doing a lot of the bass drum stuff i mean that's it's literally it's almost like you have to start from scratch i would assume from your um yeah just the ergonomics of everything like how does how do you compartmentalize that and make that into your setup today from a normal drum set to this um, yeah, so uh, there's there's three components that I think about. I even tell people this on the street when I when I when I start the show, just so just so the people actually have an idea of what what's going on. And it's really not that that hard at all. Like, um, you know, when you think about buckets, you think about uh, when I think about buckets, I think about an actual drum kit. So I'm thinking about a bass drum. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the main components, a snare drum and a hi hat, and maybe a few other here and there um so (laughs) basically there's a bass there's the kick uh and that gets lifted by new york guys and chicago guys chicago will throw the bucket in between their legs Mm. uh new york i mean larry he lifts the bucket with his foot and that's the new york style that's like the original style of bucket drumming is lifting it up hitting it 
as the air escapes through the bottom, once the bucket is up in the air, uh, so that gives you the bass drum sound, then they drop the bucket on the floor and they rim shot it. So that's your snare drum. And their hi-hat is more more or less the rim of the bucket, right? So yeah. I, I recognized that, what Larry was doing, and I wanted a different sound. So, I mean, I recognized that all he's doing is just lifting the bucket up with his foot. So I just put it, I just stepped on the handle and I let the bucket rest on my foot at an angle while I'm stepping on and that in turn brings the, the air to escape out of the bottom. And it makes it a lot louder, a lot louder as well when you can uh, reverb and bounce it off the, off the street. So that's my base, which I also use the rim for, you know, as well. Uh, that's where I do all my rolls on. The snare drum is pretty incredible too. Like, uh, there's a guy named, I'm going to drop a whole bunch of names, dude. I love all it. these guys. I'm telling you, all these guys are all OGs in my book and I got to drop names. So, uh, Phil Bondi out of Seattle, I believe I saw him in Geneva and he had, he had coins in his bucket. So for his snare drum and, um, I was using that for a bit, but it just wasn't loud enough for the street. The coins just were not loud enough at all. Uh, and I was hitting on a dish, like a, a dish for a candle or something. That dish was left in the bucket with all the coins. So I kept that in there, and now it's 10 times louder. So I decided to keep it in there. And holy shit, man, it's been in there ever since I've been drumming. So our street drum, so about 10 years now. Um, and then the hi-hat came pretty simple. You know, the hi-hat on the ground came pretty simple. Uh, once I had the bass and the snare, uh, it just kind of, you know, you just make sense that you need a hi-hat. So I had a splash at first, and I used my foot, and that took a while. That took about a few months to really get that down. Uh, using your, Using my right foot, instead of the left foot, normally on a regular drum kit. So I had to switch some things around. Um, you know, when you're out there on the street, man, you, you got to make shit work. Otherwise, you just don't eat. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37210. Or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All the information I just said is at ForksDrumCloset.com. Well, yeah, let's just let's just hop into I'm sure we're going to get through a lot of the questions I have just by talking through your five. So let's just jump into your top five. And the first one is Sing, Sing, Sing came out in 1950, which is what, 72 years ago. My God, the artist is Benny Goodman. And the song choice is Sing, 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 of course. And the drummer is Gene Krupa. Simple hit right before it gets into it. 
just makes it. So where were you when this record was introduced to you? Grandfather. Oh, okay. Poppy. Poppy Pretty. My family will be hearing this too, but yeah, um, my grandfather was uh, was the one to introduce me to Benny Goodman um, and the whole big band scene. I was, oh man, it's tough to do ages, but I was definitely young, you know, seven maybe six mm-hmm. seven years old seven or eight years old around that time he comes in into the living room and i'm banging away and he's just like shut the hell up you're allowed to curse on here right yes you can okay yeah he's like shut up with all that shit but technically this is poppy cursing not you so that's okay too <laughs> da- yeah correct correct you know and i'm over there just like oh my god what am i doing so he is like okay i have a couple of cassette tapes for you that i listened to in my car uh, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, you know, this is the shit. If you're going to listen to a good drummer, you know, freaking good. You think you're good? Listen to this fucking guy, bro. It's Gene Krupa, man. This guy drums, you know, and he's sweating. And he's chewing gum and he's on stage and he's got the world around him. This guy knows what to do. This guy, you know, this guy's legit. So he uh, introduced me to Benny Goodman and then. I learned that song. I learned Sing, Sing, Sing just because it was like, I mean, it was fun. It was in the Chips Ahoy commercial. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I learned that fully from top to bottom, the whole song. And I think it was just a couple of months later, he came back for Christmas time and I played it for him. Uh, and he just went ecstatic. He was like, I cannot believe I'm hearing this shit from my kid right now, from my grandkid in a living room with a speaker, you know, and I haven't heard this shit live since what the fifties, the forties or the fifties. So, um, that left a huge impact on me at that age and then starting to get into Gene Krupa and just what he did him, and then obviously buddy rich from that point on. But yeah. Well, and was it, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but it was, did it help you realize that it's obviously an iconic groove and it's obviously legendary. No one is going to take that away, but at the core of it, it's a pretty elementary groove. It's single strokes, just accenting, you know? And so did that help you as a street performer or I guess as a drummer that would then become a street performer, be like, it's, it's, it's about simple rhythms that get people that might not be drummers just to get excited about it because it's, you can be 
you know, elementary, but still put on a great show. Not that your stuff's elementary. Believe me, you're, it's quite the opposite. But um, did that kind of spark that? Like, it's all about showmanship. Oh, man, absolutely. You know, the, the rhythm itself, I think um, it, it got me to know what swung feel is mm-hmm. to straight for sure. And I think this was one of the first songs that I ever learned or was even ever taught what that meant swung and straight feel yeah. uh and then that that swung feel i guess the more the more you uh you know compile the notes make them closer together uh i think in my opinion sounds a little bit better but um you know a nice wide open swung groove is kind of like the mix that he's that he has there it's like a wide open swung groove also with the compact swung groove meaning like doom 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 right and then switch to something like doom you know like it flows so much on that on that recording he's got a bit of everything in it so i think yeah from that from that point it taught me definitely how to do swung and you know you as you get older you don't even realize really realize that you're getting those that vocabulary in in your brain mm-hmm. you know so yeah definitely definitely helped me a lot with street performing as well obviously yeah definitely yeah it's good it's kind of like when you feed your dog uh vitamins but you put it in their kibble i don't know it's like just put it in this really bombastic elementary thing for a kid but you're actually learning how to have feel all right so let's just go on the number two and so I actually had a tough time finding this, meaning I couldn't find the actual song because this band, I think, uh, yeah, 2004, they didn't release a lot of stuff, so their stuff isn't really readily available online. The, the, the album's called Hang the Messenger, and it's from 2004, and the artist is Lexis Jumps. Lexis spelled L-E-X-S-I-S, Jumps. And the song is The Opportunist, and... Their drummer's name is Josh, <laughs> but I couldn't find the actual song, so we're gonna find, we're gonna listen to another one. But how this band reach out to you musically? Yeah, so I found out his name is Josh Cohen, okay, uh, and it's him and his sister that that do the band. So his sister is actually uh, the singer; she's the screamer. They come from Pittsburgh, I think. Uh, so basically, this was uh, another age of formidable years i was about 12 11 or 12 uh just started to get into bands and and that's when the hardcore punk scene came into uh came into new jersey um and just kind of fell into it you know there was uh there was a whole load of kids in my in my schools that held these band shirts on so i just figured let me get into this a little bit let me see what this world is like so um uh they had some type of a, a a venue this venue was called the tom's river show shed uh shout out to dan from one win choice who ran this this property but basically had a shed he built a shed in his backyard in tom's river um and he held shows there he held hardcore punk shows there that was where i saw lexus jumps for the first time and that's where I saw Josh Cohen for the first time. And uh, holy shit, man, this guy just absolutely blew 
the tits off my face. He had hydraulic <laughs> drum heads that I've never seen before. And yeah, and that, that opened up a whole different world to drumming for sure after hearing these guys. Oh, oh, hit me with that. Wow. Yeah, I was swinging from the rafters. I was hanging from the rafters. I'm happy I kept it going because that was a sh total shift in in vibe. Yeah, they were uh, jazz hardcore. You know, the well, they mixed they mixed as much as jazz as they could in it, and uh, I just went. I was just creaming myself all over these guys, man. I wouldn't, I couldn't get these guys out of my life. I would just hang around them all day long when they came to Jersey. Yeah, I mean, in that little spot where they broke down a little bit to go a little softer, his hands, he was doing some really cool, I mean, rudimentary, ru rudimentary meaning like very rudiment based, um, rudimentary stuff yeah. there between the, all those symbols and stuff, which I can see you taking some of that influence to what you do with, you know, with your literally your pots and pans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think this guy was actually the first guy to... Um, inspire me to use double bass double bass mm. drum pedals yeah after i saw him with that uh so yeah this this guy man i i haven't talked to him in so long i shit you not i don't even think he remembers me this man and i don't even i don't even think he knows just how much of an impact this guy had all these guys i mean being able to be in front of him or behind him, just watching him do that live while swinging from rafters, being a kid, um, getting punched in the face in the middle of a backyard was like, <laughs> yeah. that put a huge impact for sure. I always think about this, how many songs, how many of my favorite songs exist that I've never heard of because they're just not out there easily accessible? You know, how many drummers that are doing their thing that would change my life, but I just don't have access to like the knowledge of them um it's it it makes me sad but also makes me very like it's just like a romantic thought you know and i appreciate it so number three is love this the meters release years 1969 so a few years before um 
Alexis jumps. The artist is The Meters, so it's their self-titled record, and the song choice is Sissy Strut, and the drummer is, uh, is Zigaboo. Uh, yeah! <laughs> Can't get more smooth and cool than this, man. I really liked his, his tuning of his snare as well on this record. I'll throw this out there on the street uh, for for the real musos that come along. Hey man, I'll you know I play too. Yeah, I'll throw this out there, see if they know it. Where were you when this record came into your life, man? I was tw uh, 12, 13 now, getting a bit older, and yeah. this record was. Um, this record was thrown on me by my father, and uh, who's also a, he's not a musician, not, no one in my immediate family are, are musicians, uh, but my dad might as well be one. Um, mm. He's got a great ear for music. He introduced me to Black Sabbath and Alice Cooper, talking about him biting bats heads off stages, and I was, uh, yeah, very, very inspired by that. And then he said, you know, he said, this is all really good shit. Have you ever heard the meters? And then he puts on Sissy Strut. And I was like, whoa, all right. From that point, you know, that the meters, that this whole meters record was on repeat going to school on my little MP3 player. And this is when I learned funk at this point in my life is when I learned funk or, mm -hmm. or had to interpret funk. That's great, man. Yeah, it's sometimes with your with parents or not even just parents, but just people that don't have musical ability, they sometimes have way better sensibility when it comes to music taste because they don't they don't view it from whatever mathematical way that musicians sometimes assess things. Um, and so I've been turned on to some of my favorite records by people that know nothing. They don't even know what a quarter note is. They don't even a saxophone. That, I don't, is that different than a trumpet? I have no idea. I just know I like what I like. Um, and their opinions sometimes mean more to me when I show them like demos and whatever, because they like, I don't know. It's a yes or no for me. All right, number four, the album's 10,000 Days. And I'm actually excited. So this guy wasn't... So I've been doing this, this format for maybe about two years now, and this drummer wasn't talked about a lot at the beginning. And maybe it's the drummers I've been bringing on. I have more of a... Um, admiration with their own style for this guy, but I'm so happy that he's been getting his kind of day in the sun, at least on this podcast as of late. So the, the album's 10,000 Days, the release year's 2006, the artist is Tool, and the drummer is, of course, Danny Carey. Uh, can't talk about him enough. So the song choice is, is Jambi, and let's just listen to a little bit of it, and then and then we can talk about it. mean it's so mean 
All over the place. Dude, like, still to this day, uh, I'll have to rewind his work and play it over and over again just to hear what he's actually doing. Or, you know, what's going on in his mind. I would just, if I was ever in a recording session with these guys, like, <laughs> that would be the day, man. I don't know what goes on in their head. They're just very mathematically inclined. They're, they're like, I'm telling you, these things, they're symphonies. They're, mas they're masterpieces of just, you know, just crazy mathematic shit. And it, and it blows my mind every time. But this, this song in general, let's just head right into it. This song, uh, and why I put this down, um, was because this was a different transition in my life. So this is getting older now. I'm getting into my teenage years, my young teenage years, and uh, you know I'm changing. And the movie Drumline came out in 2002. When mm -hmm. you know, if if you haven't seen the movie Drumline, obviously Nick Cannon doesn't play real drums in the movie. But uh, if you do like, you know, drum core style drumming, um, that's that's where I got inspiration from this movie. Now. That movie inspired me to do drum corps. Mm. So DCI in, uh, in New Jersey. And I started off with a group called the Raiders. As I'm transitioning into drum corps drumming and kind of straying away from drum set drumming, there's a warm up that all the whole drum line has to do when we do it on the field before you go and do the show. Right. So this man, Chris Marusek, shout out Chris Marusek and Colin Bell. These guys were uh, the caption heads of the drum line I was playing at in the Raiders. So he created a on-field warm-up off of this song. He transformed this song, Jambi, into an arrangement for a drum line that we played on field. It was a 60-second warm-up. Um, and he was telling us how, how the song impacted him and and how he lost a loved one at the time um, and how this band just kind of lifted him up and got him back to reality and got him back on his feet after he lost somebody close to him. And that kind of really, it touched me a lot to know that, you know, this guy put all this time and effort to, to really take the song that meant so much to him and give it to us to play on the field, you know, must have had his, his his brain must have been going off every time he heard it, but um, massive impact for sure on me. So from that point, uh, ten thousand days was on repeat. You know, I was just massively inspired by what he said and how he transformed that into uh, into a warm up. Um, 
so from that point, yeah, I was all over Tool. I was just all over Danny Carey and what he was doing and no snares on the snare drum and all these weird mm. African uh, instruments and, you know, Indian instruments and things like that. I think he uses a doll in some of his songs and djembes, obviously. But, um, yeah, massive, incredible record. Got me going for sure. Well, speaking of, we're transitioning right into number five. It's a performance. It's the Summer Train Blues Mix by the Blue Devils Drum and Bugle Corps, and it's uh, from 2004. But the video we are going to play is them doing their warm-ups in the parking lot. Um, and so I will be dropping this video in there, but we're watching it about 7.15 to 7.50, just looking at the drum break. And, and the captain head, the arranger, is Scott Johnson. Given you like the tiniest, tiniest little sliver of what these guys do on a, like a daily basis. I mean, this is nothing compared to what some of these guys are doing nowadays with WGI and DCI. But and I guess you really got to look at it as well. You got to watch the video because they're um, throwing their sticks up in the air, basically making it sound like a train. The, from the front of the from the front of the house, which is the front ensemble, to the back ensemble, which is the battery, all making it sound like a train, and they have massive tire irons that they're hitting on the field, and the sound is just it'll blow your eardrums out. But like I said, you know this this just kind of came into my head as something something quick just to just to throw in there on how drum corps really inspired me. But like I said, there are so many other videos from DCI and WGI that that will blow your mind for sure. Well, that's your top five, dude. Um, so, I mean, you are based in Las Vegas right now. If people want to follow you, it's at, at the Bucket Boy. Um, and if they want to see your, you performing, how can they follow you? How can they see more of you, albeit in person or just anywhere? The, the, the floor is yours. Oh, great. So, um, yeah. So at the moment, I uh, just booked a ticket to Europe for my uh, street tour, 2022 street tour. Haven't been overseas since the pandemic. So let's uh, thank thank the Lord that we're all getting back together. Mm -hmm. um, so I will be in I will be in Prague from July 1st to the seventh and then every week after that i'll be doing a new city so it's prague and then i'm doing munich uh munich uh amsterdam amsterdam to london london to edinburgh scotland for the festival fringe in, in edinburgh uh and then from that point i come back to vegas all uh, i'm going to be filming all, all videos and things like that um i've been thinking of coming up with a bucket drum album to record and to kind of give everyone kind of like a sample of how it sounds in a real recording studio. So I'm working yeah. on that. I got the street court street tour coming up this summer. Be looking out for all those videos and on my Instagram at the bucket boy for sure. And, uh, 
I mean, if anyone's out there on the street who's listening now, come up and say something to me on the street. We'll play together. We'll jam out together. Do you do you uh, travel with your buckets, or is you just go to like a hardware store? But you travel with like your core, like your plate that's inside the drum, and like what do you travel with? I bring it all, dude. Okay. Now, I, I mean, you can technically, and I have done it before, like in places that um, you know they're a little sketchy with bringing in things like that. Uh, even though you're not doing anything with it, they still technically won't even let you bring it in. So. Um, yeah, like places like Australia, I'll have to go and pick up all my equipment when I get there. Mm-hmm. And it takes a bit. It takes a while. But if I go to somewhere like Europe or the UK, I'm bringing everything that I get here all at once. And basically all my things just go inside the buckets and my buckets go inside a bag. Bag goes on a cart and I'm off. So someone who knows nothing about drums would look at what we do and they're like, all the drums sound the same. I have no idea. There's different shell types and preferences, whatever. Do you have a preference on certain buckets? Like they're like, oh, I will never play a Home Depot bucket. It's it's too thin sounding. Oh, but you <laughs> how know, did like, you know? I don't how know. did you know? <laughs> I'm telling you. Yes, you are 100% right. Home Depot buckets absolutely suck. Don't get them. Don't buy them. <laughs> Don't don't even put liquid in them. They're they're made from this terrible plastic that just it melts and it you know they're they're not very sturdy buckets. Anyway, that is so um, funny. Yes, so I find just like a maple drum kit or a birch drum kit, uh, like it's it's maple to birch as my soy sauce to pickles. So paint and pickles food grade. Anything that has a number on the bottom, this is to any new drummer out there that's listening who wants to hit a bucket. You want to find the number on the bottom that says 90. There's a number stamped on the bottom of these buckets, and it says 90. That is the the milliliter of the thickness of the bucket. And you'll find 90 in paint buckets. You'll find them in soy sauce, uh, pickles, mayonnaise, olives, anything like that. But the main thing is to try and find one that says 90 and it'll be a pretty tasty sounding bucket. And you can, you can tune them too. I'll teach you how to tell. I, I can tell you how to tune them if you want. Please do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, here's another shout out to, to Mr. Joshua Rodriguez uh, out of Boston, another OG bucket drummer. But um, yeah, so basically you take the bucket, and you like you're going to put something in it and instead of putting something in it you put your foot in it and you put it all the way down at the bottom and you grab the handle and you push it out so you're stretching the bottom of the bucket almost like you put your foot into a drum and you're stretching out the tom head mm-hmm. from the bottom out yeah right so that makes the plastic weaker and it makes it a little bit more flabby and uh, that gives you the bass drum sound right there. The the more you do that, the the heavier the bass is going to sound. Now, do that exact opposite and turn the bucket over, put it on the ground, and you stand on it or you sit on it or have a big guy. I usually just find the biggest guy that I can on the street, and I tell him to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> with me on the bucket. And uh, once he gets up, this thing it's that the pitch is crazy and you could you could tune them uh like every show they don't stay that they don't stay that 
that tuning. You got to tune them every show. But mm. um, but yeah, they sound great like that. Dude, Matt, this has been so fun, dude. Again, um, I want to see you play live. I come through Vegas a lot, so maybe we'll be back from your tour by then. And uh, I'll let you get to it, man. But I hope you have a great day. Oh, thank you so much. I had such a great time. This was my first ever podcast ever talking about what I love to do. Um, so I, uh, I really appreciate you messaging me. Shout out to Drumio um, for, for sharing my videos and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and a big shout out to Mr. John Spoulos, who taught me. He was my first drum teacher. So um, I really thank you, man. I appreciate it. I had a great time. All right, dude. Well, you killed it, and uh, that was really a a lot of fun information, dude. So um, I'll talk to you later, man. Cheers. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!